Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to LifePoint Church. If you're new with us today, man, we hope that you feel like you've been treated uh, like family, that you feel welcomed home. My name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint. And if you haven't had an opportunity to hear our lead pastor, Danny Rivers, speak, you're missing out. Please do yourself a favor. Come back next week. We're starting an incredible new series. You don't want to miss out. He's an incredible communicator, and he's a great man of God who walks his life under the Word of God, which is a rare thing to have these days. So, and to be honest, LifePoint also would not be the home that it is without the sacrifice of pastors Danny and Rachel Rivers. So when you see them, thank them for their sacrifice, for their dedication uh, to listen to God's word, to have planted a home that all of us can call home here in good old San Antonio. And as you guys can kind of tell right now, we have entered into a really exciting season. Now maybe some of you are like, but have we? Like, think about this. The church has been growing. Like, you can see it, you can sense it. More and more families are being drawn to God's house here at LifePoint Church and honestly, all around the world. God's church is growing as people are experiencing the freedom that comes in relationship to Jesus. And that's why, if you're like, why are we adding another service? That's why we're adding another worship experience because what we want, we are never going to stop. Listen, we are a church that will never stop reaching the one. If there's, as long as there is somebody out there who needs to know Jesus, we are going to do everything apart from sin to do our very best to reach them. And we're at this, to be honest, a very crucial moment as a church. Okay, we are stepping into a very important moment that we need to recognize. This movement that we are needing to take part of in a next step that each and every one of us have to take. Because sadly, the church experience for far too long has been attending a church service, right? We've all heard that before, right? Coming into a space like this on a Sunday and looking for spiritual goods and services to be provided to us by the staff and the pastor, right? To provide it to us as religious consumers, completely missing the point that God has called us, listen, God has called us to be the church, not just to attend a place called church. It's a big deal. And the more this week that I was thinking about community and I let this kind of just sit on my heart and I was talking with God, I realized I'm not even sure that we know what it means to belong to a family of faith anymore. I'm not sure we really know what it means to be a part of biblical-driven community. But what I do know is that if each of us would step up to the plate, if each of us would take the personal responsibility, right, to answer God's call, to be a member, a part of the church, God would so surprise what he could do in your life and through us as a body. He would blow our mind, mind away with the lives that could be changed, with the transformation that could happen, and with the life that you could experience if we would take him at his word. And I'm not sure where we missed this uncommon community that God called us into. But as I was studying, I think there is a reason through history that's kind of been playing out over the years under the guise of becoming a more modern society that we don't even recognize the passive participation that each of us take in contributing to a cycle that is actually pulling us further apart rather than putting us closer together, right? That is actually creating 
us breakdowns within our soul, heart, minds, and souls, rather than handing us life. And we are being given a death, and it's not metaphorically, like the, the statistics would go to show that there is a lot of things happening right now that we need to be paying attention to. And I'm gonna drop a lot of information on us all at one time. It's just how my mind works. I like to see the problem, bring awareness to it before we can figure out what are we going to do about it. Because the truth is, this is stuff that you see around you all the time. But because we're so busy, because we're always moving, because we haven't stopped to take a moment to soak in what is happening in the world around us, we have missed all of the markers, the measures that something is terribly wrong. So I've been reading a book by Sebastian Younger. Now this is an American journalist, he's a filmmaker, he's an author, and he wrote a book called Tribe, and he's written it on the idea of homecoming and belonging, and I just wanna summarize a section of it for you. He says, the long-standing idea that modern society has created a surplus of leisure time is being contested. It has created the exact opposite, it being the pursuit of a modern society, has created the exact opposite, a desperate cycle of work, financial obligation, and more work. Someone feel the weight of that? Numerous cross-cultural studies have shown that modern society despite its nearly miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, is afflicted with some of the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and chronic loneliness in human history. As affluence and urbanization rise in a society, rates of depression and suicide tend to go up rather than down. Increased wealth in a society seems to foster it. And the last line, modern society has gravely disrupted the social bonds that have characterized the human experience. Now I want you to think about this. Because if we track the pursuit of modern society across history, or even if you just consider what has been the goal of becoming a more modern society, right? If you answer the question, it's to have an elevated personal authority, more personal autonomy, which unwittingly has reduced the role and place of community within our lives. As people have found themselves increasingly capable of living independently apart from others, not needing a tribe to help take care of the daily needs, the daily loads, right? Community has decreased. And this path, right, this pursuit that we're on right now is leading us to devastating effects. In the Journal of Effective Disorders in 2012, they said it this way, the economic and marketing forces of modern society have engineered an environment that maximizes consumption at the long-term cost of well-being. In effect, humans have dragged a body with a long hominoid history into an overfed, malnourished, sedentary, sunlight-deficient, sleep-deprived, competitive, inequitable, and socially isolating environment with dire consequences. Maybe you're like, what does that mean? In other words, as modern society presses onward to advances in maximizing our individual output, 
the outcome is that we have a diluted and deteriorating individual and collective human experience. Our lives are not being filled up like we hoped. The leisure time that we were searching for, the more that we want, is actually creating a meaninglessness within us. In our pursuit to find contentment, we have actually created our own chaos. Human beings need three basic things in order to be content. They need to feel competent at what they do. They need to feel authentic in their lives and they need to feel connected to others. These three simple things, intrinsic values to human happiness that far outweigh extrinsic values that so many people focus on, money, status, social life. And I just wanna, let me just break it down further with one slice of a pie, right? One little sliver of our human experience that we all have, social media. Right? Think of the three basic needs that we're talking about here and then how social media has impacted them. When people scroll through social media, do they feel more or less competent at what they do in life? I would argue less. And this less has created a displacement in us, a discontentment in us, this need, this drive that we aren't enough and we need more and we, we have to strive to become something that we actually don't have to give to the world, that we don't even have to give to ourselves. And so now, not only do we lack, not only do we lack competency, but we are forcing ourselves to be something that we aren't, creating an inauthenticity within our own lives. Then, simultaneously, because we're inauthentic and others are inauthentic as well, is it any wonder why it's so hard to find other people to be connected to? Because all we know how to do is be fake and wear masks around other people. We've entered into a vicious cycle of comparison that never delivers anything other than greed, envy, and judgment. And if contentment is feeling competent, living authentically, and being connected, has social media helped or harmed our pursuit? The stats are out there. Digital technology, undoubtedly an incredible tool, has drastically changed all of our lives and has unequivocally almost single-handedly devastated and destroyed mental health in ways nobody thought was possible. And to our detriment, as I see it, we've continued to misinterpret connectivity as community. We consistently and more frequently make casual commitments and find ourselves looking for shortcuts within our relationships. And connectivity like social media ends up fostering social isolation. Casual commitments give us room to cop out of prior engagements for more convenient ones, and relational shortcuts create cracks in the foundation of what could be real if we could learn to do community right. We do not seem to know what it looks like to belong and be part of a family of faith. And I want you to think about this. In the greatest moments of your lives, and when you felt happiest, healthiest, whole, were you alone or were you with others? I would argue that the greatest moments of our lives are when we are surrounded by people in real, genuine, authentic community. And if we're going to have Christ-like community, where do we begin? Let's start with the words of Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus says marks his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And before you start thinking, oh great, another message on love. Because how many times have you heard, seen, how many times have I preached from this passage just this year alone? Over and over and over and over again. And instead of just brushing by, instead of just thinking I've heard this verse, maybe we need to consider something deeper. Because have you ever looked at the placement of this verse within the context of scripture that it finds itself in? It's interesting. Because this is the Last Supper, right? In John, this scene is the Last Supper and Jesus is hours away from being crucified. And in his last moments, right? If you knew that somebody was having their last moments, everything that they said and did would matter more, wouldn't it? And Jesus knows that his time is coming to an end. Jesus, knowing that he was about to experience the ultimate humiliation and that he was almost near the highest moment of glory for his life, wasn't filled with the cost of the cross. He, he, he knew what it was going to require of him. He wasn't filled with bitterness or anger from the betrayal that he was currently and continually going to experience. He wasn't filled with pride or knowledge, pride in the knowledge of the power and glory that God was about to put on him. Rather, in humility, he washes his disciples' feet, even the ones who have betrayed him. In a moment where someone like you and me would have been filled with extreme pride or extreme sorrow, we see Jesus express supreme humility. And this is rich, because a lot of us, myself included, we live our lives so often from a position of conditional love, don't we? What's in it for me? But the love that Jesus is saying marks those who follow him is utterly selfless. It's the kind of love that kicks in when someone we care about falls ill. We will perform the most humble acts and delight in doing things for other people, the people that we love when, when they're sick, don't we? We will willingly offer ourselves up because our eyes have been taken fully off of us and placed solely on the other individual. That's the kind of love that Jesus is asking for us to express within Christ-like community at all times. That's the kind of love that we should be experiencing within the body as the church. It's meant to be selfless, to be sacrificial. Go back to the beginning of John. Right after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Which is such a funny question to me, because Jesus has clearly been washing everybody else's feet. Hello, my man. Yes, Jesus is about to wash your feet. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. Now, William Barclay, who was a theologian, an incredible teacher, makes an incredible commentary on this section. He says, the world is full of people who are standing on their own dignity when they ought to be kneeling at the feet of their brothers and sisters. In every sphere of life, Desire for prominence 
and unwillingness to take a subordinate place wreck the scheme of things. And the longer that I, that I sat on this and the longer that I thought of, about this, the more that this entire scene began to bother me. Think about this. Clearly the home that the disciples have been, that's been made available to them to enjoy this, this Passover meal isn't wealthy enough to have a servant at the door to clean their feet, which was common practice in the day. And these disciples who have been with Jesus for the last three years, who have been in intimate community with Jesus and an in commun- intimate community with each other, have missed an opportunity in this moment to serve each other well. And the text doesn't say this, but can I propose a reason why I think this happens? I think, I think these disciples had become so comfortable with Jesus that unless he was performing a miracle, they forgot who was in the room with them. That's a big deal. I think that until Jesus went on teaching the word of God with the, only, with the kind of authority that only he had, the kind of authority that would make the hair on the back of their necks stand up, they forgot that this wasn't just some regular man that was in the room with them. It's not like the disciples didn't know the cultural norms when walking through the door of a house. And if Peter knew who Jesus was, why on earth would Peter not even wash the feet of Jesus? I think that Peter wasn't thinking about the feet of Jesus at all or who was in the room with him. Rather, I think he was thinking which one of my brothers was going to be willing to submit to me first. And out of pride and out of arrogance, he refused to do something he felt was beneath him that he didn't have time for, that wasn't worth his energy because he was more focused on himself than the one who was in the room. And it hit me. Because how often have I done that with Jesus? How often have I come into this church and there is a need that if Jesus was here, he would immediately look to fill and I willingly, knowingly pass by? How often have I refused to serve Jesus well by loving others well because it was an inconvenience to me? And then my wheel started to turn. Because if this is a possible narrative, why is this happening? Think, think about this. Jesus had gathered a motley crew to himself. They probably did not get along that well. Jesus had gathered people to him who had come from all different walks of life, different perspectives, different career choices. He called some who were once fishermen, religious men, irreligious, tax collectors, thief. Jesus has really drawn the cream of the crop to himself, hasn't he? And that's the crazy thing that we can't miss. Jesus calls all of humanity to himself. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And we see that in Jesus. And if someone is good enough for Jesus, shouldn't they be good enough for me? And the community that Jesus drew around himself, like we can't miss this. They had different political viewpoints. One was a zealot, hyper-political, really involved, right? Others were fishermen, a tax collector. We're talking about people who would never 
outside of Jesus have crossed paths intentionally. But with Jesus, his church is meant to be a place where everyone's welcome, where nobody's perfect, and that with Jesus, anything is possible. This is a community. This is the community that God calls us to. This is one where we should be willing to serve wherever, however, because Jesus, even Jesus, was willing to submit himself to the position of a servant. God is calling us to express and experience uncommon community, and that means that we have to do more than just showing up and sitting in a seat on a Sunday. Like, thanks for being here. But there are LP kids who need you to know their name. There are people who are walking through the doors on a Sunday morning who need to see your smile and hear you say hello to them. There are people who are in this space right now who need you to be committed to them in relationship through life groups. There are families who need you to serve on our safety team, ready to provide medical care or assistance or security to keep us safe. There are communities in Costa Rica, Honduras, and the Philippines who need you to visit them on the missions trips that we go on, spending time with them, investing in them. We are meant to play a part, to be a part as members of the body, not just take up space in the body. Because if no trouble was too small for Jesus, if there was no price that he wasn't willing to pay, then what is our excuse for not loving each other well? Are we gonna be so consumed with our bloated, fast-paced, hurried lives that we are unwilling to take a second to step back, to breathe, and to experience life with other people as Jesus doesn't, doesn't just ask us, I would argue he commands us. And yet we're too busy focusing on fulfilling our own hopes, dreams, desires that we miss opportunities to sow seeds of life into other people. We have got to learn to let go of the what's in it for me mentality. We gotta let it go. And I know it's hard because all of us have a little bit of the what's in it for me mentality in the deep, dark places of our heart, mind, and soul, don't we? Even sweet granny, white hair, drenched in perfume, walking around with all wacky with it walking stick. Even granny, who has the appearance of kindness, has that in her heart too. It doesn't matter who you are. We have to constantly and continually push our hearts outward, reaching for others. And this happens when we learn to be active contributors rather than consumers. And I know that for some of us, for some of us, getting involved feels really risky. And that's why here at LifePoint, we do our absolute best to make it as simple as possible. Every first Sunday of the month is Growth Track. Today is Growth Track. It's happening right now. And Growth Track is an opportunity where team leaders from across our church, from different teams, are coming together to talk about the mission, the mission and vision of this house, why we do what we do, and the part that we believe God has for you to play on it. Not, not because it's for our benefit. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, we need you. But it does something for you to serve other people well. It does something for you to connect with other people in, in a church body, in authentic, real, genuine community. 
And for those of us in this space that follow Jesus, he is calling us to step out, to step up, and to serve others in our community well. We are meant to be a gift to the body that we commit to, but I want us to think about this for a moment. If we're looking to give someone a gift, are we going to give them a gift that they want or the gift that we want for them? Now come on. All the married folk in the house, right? If you're getting married, because I know we got a couple that are happening soon. At your wedding shower, you got a gift you never asked for. When we give someone a gift, the intent of a gift is that it is something that they want. That's a gift, right? When they did their wedding registry, they knew what they needed. That's why they want it. Forcing someone to accept something that you want for them is not a gift to them. It doesn't help them. It's not a contribution to them. It's a contribution for you. And you've made it about you and you aren't contributing, but rather you are consuming. And there are those of us that are in this space who haven't gotten onto serving on a team (laughs) because it's not the way that we want to serve. And my question for you is how long have you been walking through those doors? And there's a towel and there's a water basin at the door and you've looked at Jesus and you said, nah, not today. That's not for me. And I know, I know that's heavy. But I'm not trying to break you today. Jesus has sacrificially and selflessly given so much to me and to you. And our response is not meant to hoard more for ourselves. We're not meant to store up more so we can have more. We are meant to share and dispense and be a place where living water is flowing through and out of us. We cannot forget the price that Jesus has paid for us and what our response should be to it. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, not looking to your own interest, but each of you, every one of us, to the interest of others, to the interest and needs of those around us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who is always looking for a way to serve and to love people well. We are the body of Christ, being called up and called out into uncommon community where we are serving each other, where the body needs help. And there is this crazy thing that happens when we get connected to others. There's a crazy thing that happens when we get connected to others. Friends end up becoming family. Friends become family as they serve together on the dream team, as they do life together in life groups, as we get connected to each other, we begin to see and sense that we are a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We begin to recognize that somebody needs me to show up today. 
Somebody needs to see my face, needs to hear, connect with me. And as we show up, serve up, and group up, we find ourselves a family we never thought was possible to have. We find people who are willing to go that extra mile for us when we need an extra hand. We find people who are willing to sit with us in silence in our moments of suffering. We find people who wanna celebrate life's greatest moments, (laughs) our biggest wins with us. If you would just let somebody learn your name by getting connected. And I know, I know that is so scary for some of us, but I promise you, I promise you, it does not get more introverted than me in this room. Like I know it seems like just because of where I'm standing (laughs) that I'm this great extrovert, I have had to work really, really hard to make it appear like I'm easy to talk to. It's taken a whole lot of work. Like I am, I am very comfortable in my own skin. My wife hates it. I can go to a party, right? Go to get togethers and I don't need to talk to a single person. I'm just fine, right? I would rather look and make fun of and judge people anyways. Like if I'm just being honest, <laughs> messed up, right? But that's how, God, that's how I was wired and I got to break through to that because that's not what Jesus calls me to. I have had to learn to strike up conversations, to be interested in the lives of other people, take a risk for my sake, for the sake of others. And what's crazy is that when I thought I was taking a risk for them, they ended up enriching my life in greater ways than I could have ever enriched theirs. I'll share an experience with you. Barry Jackson, my best buddy sitting in the back of the room, Barry Jackson, if you have the privilege of knowing Barry, you are blessed. But I'm a little bit better than you because he's my best friend. This is a man of God who I would not have known if it was not for the community of LifePoint Church. This is a man who I would not have a relationship with if our lives did not intersect in this space. He's a little older than me and he keeps getting mad at me because I occasionally still call him sir. (laughs) My mom and dad beat it into me. Come on, any millennials know what I'm talking about? And I hope Barry doesn't hate me for this, but when Barry first met me, Barry did not like me. Like I can still remember one of the first conversations that we had, real conversations, sitting down at Starbucks talking to him about student ministry, right? And I thought it was going great. Clearly, I was rubbing the guy the wrong way. And I totally understand because I have one of those prickly, hard to get personalities sometimes. So if I've ever offended you, like my bad, I promise you it's not intentional. I am so sorry. But, but as Barry and I have served together, done life together, a brotherhood has formed between two people that she would have never expected to get along. Catch this as we have committed to selflessly serving the church community well, as we have consistently, which requires sacrifice from us, showed up to open up, to open up the doors to the house, prep experiences, change out batteries, clean tables, we, we begin to know each other more and more and then begin to encourage one another, sharing experience together, having lunch, dinner, doing life together, and suddenly two people who were complete strangers became friends and then over time, friends became family. 
And Barry and I have such an incredible friendship that is so open and honest and transparent. We have shared so much of our lowest moments and our highest moments together. But the catch is that you get out of a relationship what you put into a relationship. It's, it is so simple. And yet we are so busy, consumed with the pursuit of self, expanding our little fiefdom, that we forget that being human is sharing your life with others. And guess what? It takes work and it costs something of you. But if you would be willing to take a step to risk getting to know someone. I've seen this happen for people all over Life Point Church on retreats and missions trips, on serve days, these little moments where God's community is gathered together to be the hands and feet of Jesus and because people risked showing up, stretching themselves a little bit by having conversation with people they would have never met otherwise, friends become family. Strangers make new friends. We have to be willing to come to the church body, willing to commit and risk a little by putting ourselves out there. And I promise you, if you do, someone will know your name. Someone will connect with you. You will experience life in a way you never thought was possible. And here's the thing. I've seen and I've heard people, right? I've watched this happen before where somebody comes in once or twice, looks mean, man, and mad, and then goes and sits in the corner with their arms folded and then has the audacity to say, I went to this church and they were so unfriendly. Can you smile? Are you happy to be alive? If people have to break through to get to you, is it any wonder why you don't have any friends? Is it any wonder why you can't find a connection? You have to be willing to risk a little bit of yourself to gain something from someone else. That's just how it works. And I wanna make this super simple because if we're going to be the community that God means for us to be, if we are going to be a real community, then your part, I'm gonna give you an equation, right? Let's make it simple. Your part looks like showing up, serving up, and grouping up. Cheesy, I know. Showing up, serving up, grouping up. Showing up to moments and opportunity where God's people are present. Serving, right? Getting involved with other people to serve the other, the the rest of the body. Grouping up by doing life groups. Actually going out with people, having a meal, studying God's word. That is what real community looks like. And if you're not doing one of these things, you need all three (laughs) to have real, authentic, uncommon, Christ-like community. And if you wondered why your life feels out of balance, if you wonder why you feel like you don't have real friends, like something is missing and not authentic, it's because more than likely, you're not doing all three. It's work. What we're doing right now is not working. People are empty and broken. It is incredible the studies that are out there right now that are showing how broken we are. It is time for us to stop focusing on ourselves, get out of our own way, and get into community and read God's word, have meals and have fun with people, and see 
how your world begins to just light up in a way you never thought possible. And what's crazy is that worship, prayer, and food, literally, they're catalysts from going to strangers to family. Don't believe me? Let's look at the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. Every day. Every opportunity. Every moment that they had to do life with somebody else. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily those who were being saved. This is why we do life groups. This is why we have a dream team. It's not for our benefit. Don't get me wrong, we need you, right? But you need to do something for yourself and step out and serve. Make a connection. Let people know your name. Share the gift that God has given you with his local body because you matter and others matter. And if you're going to love well, if you're gonna be challenged and stretched and grow richer and deeper in community with God and community with others, you have to put yourself out there. You have to let love lead the way. You have to do some things that you're uncomfortable with. And guess what? Love always, always takes work. Love is not a feeling, it is a choice. You have to choose to love and love well. We are meant to be committed to each other like a family. Live like a family. Working through God's word together, having a good time together, sharing, praying, and eating together. And while the model of church looks differently then than it does now, the method is still the same. Groups of people gathering together, sharing in life, doing the most common things together, but having an uncommon kind of heart and generosity and commitment towards each other. That is what the world wants. That's what they're looking for. That's what we were meant to express as the body of Christ. And if you're missing that, instead of pointing the finger at the church, why don't you start with you? Why don't you start by getting committed to other people within this space? and see what happens as you commit to grow with them, serve with them, to show up consistently, how God will change your world from the inside out. Show up, serve up, grow up. Let's commit to being a new kind of church, an uncommon kind of community that the world desperately needs, but that quite honestly, we need for ourselves even a little more. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? And if you feel comfortable in this moment while nobody else is looking around, I just want to ask you a tough question. And I'm looking for an honest answer. If you have been selfish with your time, if you actually have something to give to the body but you have never gotten involved, and you feel right now that God might be challenging you to stretch yourself a little bit, to reach out, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. You've got hands going up everywhere. You can put them down. And I think there's one other group of people in this space. That there are people in here who you really feel disconnected. You don't feel like you have 
real, authentic, true community or friendship. And that's what you're looking for here. And if you're looking for that, would you just acknowledge that before God today? Just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, you see each and every person that is in this space right now. God, and they are not here today by accident. You have drawn them here. God, and you are asking them to take a step of faith. You are asking them, God, to take their eyes off themselves and to put them on you and to walk out what your word says. And so, God, in this moment, I pray, Lord, that for some of us, God, who have been following you for a long time, for some of us, God, who have something to offer, but we have let pride get in the way, we have let our selfish ambitions and desires get in the way, that you would break that within us right now. That you would help us, God, to recognize that we are in a holy moment where you are asking us, calling us to take a next step, to push forward, to be a part of this movement, this church that is growing, that needs each and every person to play their part. God, help us to see the value that you see in us, the gift that you have given us to be to other people. And God, for those of us in here who, God, we feel alone. We feel like we haven't found the right family. We haven't connected. God, I pray that you would give them a boldness to commit to this house. That, Lord, that they would give them a boldness, Lord, that as they show up to church events, as they show up, God, to experiences that they would be willing to risk a step of faith and put themselves out there and begin to know people and let people know them, the real them, the authentic them, the one that's not so perfect. God, that we would try not to put our best foot forward, but that we would just enter into a space and say, this is me as I am. And that we would learn to accept and love each other where we are, as we are, because you are the one that is accountable for making change and transformation in our lives as we love each other well, as we spur each other on and encourage each other well. God, we have next steps to take. God, help us, Lord, to have the boldness to serve by joining the dream team, to get connected by walking in life groups and see what would happen if we would be an uncommon community that would live your word the way that you say. In Jesus' name, give us the strength. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.